Welcome to my uh, new podcast. Uh, it's called The Solar Journey. And uh, for the show, I will invite people who are working in the solar industry, in the wind industry or the energy industry in, uh, in general. And uh, I'm interested to find out what is their motivation? What is the motivation of these people? Why they work in, the, in that industry? Um, what kind of challenges are there? And what they think where the energy industry should uh, move to, should be headed. And uh, today, on my very first show, I'll have as my guest an old friend. Uh, it's uh, Jens Schneider. He's a professor here at the university in, in Leipzig. Um, and uh, he's, uh, he conducts research at the uh, Center for Material Economics. It's called CEM. And this is part of a Fraunhofer Institute here in Leipzig, Germany. And he's been doing this since uh, early 2020. And um, he works on energy system development. So precisely, he conducts research on how to manage the structural change in the coal regions, national and international. So the transformation of the energy system towards a sustainable um, um, approach. Previously, from uh, 2014 to 2019, Jens was a foundation professor. And from 2019, he's an honor honorary professor at the HTWK. That's a university here in Leipzig of applied science. And before that, between 2011, and 2018, he was a group leader for solar module technology at another Fraunhofer Institute in Halle, also Germany. And uh, from 2005 to until 2011, he worked as a plant and process engineer at CSG Solar, um, a company founded by Professor Martin Green from the UNSW in uh, Australia. And so G Solar itself was then a subsidiary of QCells, which is now operating under the name Hanva QCells, one of the top 10 solar cell manufacturers worldwide. Jens Schneider did his doctorate in the field of silicon thin film photovoltaics. And uh, so Jens uh, started as a researcher, PV specialist, and he was part of the big PV boom here in Germany, and then he moved into the field of economics and structural changes in the energy sector. So Jens, welcome to the show. Thanks for volunteering as my very first guest. Hi Thorsten, nice to see you. Hi Jens. Yeah, so th these are special circumstances. Uh, we uh, were planning to meet face to face and have a walk through Leipzig and um, chat have a chat about the solar energy. And uh, now with the COVID-19, it is now the 31st of March, 2020. Um, we are limited to our homes. So uh, this is why we run the show now via Zoom. Um, yeah, Zoom, I think they must be making now a nice jump in uh, subscribers. Everybody's uh, switching to uh, video conferencing. So how does your workday look like? I, I meet you now at your... Uh, office at home, I guess. Yes, this this is my home office. Welcome to my home office. Um, yeah, our whole family is home. Uh, my wife and the kids, and sometimes you can hear them in the back. I think I told them to be quiet before yeah. this interview, but um, I think it's hard to have the family quiet all the time. So we have to cope with these circumstances. But I must say that it actually works out quite all right. I get do get things done. I'm a bit surprised by that, but. Um, the kids uh, behave nicely and I'm maybe also surprised by that fact. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, besides doing podcasts, I'm, I'm the CEO of a, a metrology company in Germany and uh, it's you now all, all business now runs via video conferencing. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty crazy how, how swiftly uh, our day-to-day -day, uh, life has changed. And I was at home with two kids I'm actually now in my uh, in our bedroom, <laughs> and uh, let's see how how my kids behave today. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I actually I would like to add that uh, Jens and I we met uh, many many years ago. Uh, I did some research last night. It must have been uh, 2003 uh, on our way to uh, Osaka, Japan, to one of the 
PV photovoltaics world conferences and uh, we spent most of the flight back then in the back of the plane uh, drinking lots of red wine. <laughs> Until there was none anymore. Until there was uh, any anymore. Either yeah, way. <laughs> either way, yeah. I mean, it was pretty insane, right? I mean, uh, we were civil servants back then, a PhD student myself, and so um, uh, free booze was pretty cool. Anyhow, then we had to sit down and uh, maybe that was to the good of us. Yeah, so um, you were born, uh, you, you were born in, in, in Karlsruhe, now you're in Leipzig, you work in the solar industry. How, how, did, how did that all happen? Why, why, why did you go that uh, direction? Actually, um, there was one, one point in time where I decided to go into this field, and this was still back in school times. I uh, read a GEO article, which is the German National Geographics, yeah. about Amori and Hunter Lovins from Rocky Mountain Institute in um, Colorado in the US. Yeah. And they worked on the energy sustainability field and they still do this today. It's quite amazing. And um, this was very inspiring to me. I thought, well, that's very interesting. Um, that's something I can envision for myself as well. Yeah. Because it, it fitted all the requirements I had that, that I was thinking about what a job should do for me. It should be interesting and fun. It should be uh, ethically um, um, something that I can support. Um, it was clear that I was more of a technical person. So it was a technical topic and something where I thought this would be have a big future. So I decided to go this way. And um, from the general energy topic, it moved towards uh, photovoltaics fairly soon and um, so this journey took me via starting electrical engineering in Duisburg where I was told that our photovoltaics were not teaching this the energy density is too low this will never have any important role um, via Berlin and uh, HMI my PhD in silicon photo silicon thin film photovoltaics yeah there to Q cells or CSG solar and then Leipzig and Fraunhofer yeah pretty cool pretty cool so uh what are you working on now uh, as a professor at the uh at the fraunhofer institute so the the lecture i still do at university yeah. deals with uh, how to transform the energy system yeah um to uh keep our climate goals so we have a, a model for germany for electricity for heating for mobility and for industrial processes and all the energy required. It's a fairly simple model. We have a reference model for Germany for 2015 and the students have the opportunity. So it's a, um, energy engineering students uh, in their master program and they have the opportunity to simulate for themselves how they can achieve climate goals for 2030 and 2050. And it's a, it's a huge task for them. And I think it's, um, really important for them to get the big pictures, picture and to understand the quantities that we have to cope with. And um, I enjoy teaching uh, this course and I hope that some of the students enjoy it too. All right. What, what do you like about teaching? So from, uh, from a lab engineer to a, a teacher, what, what, was, what, what fascinates you about teaching? So, so I've always been teaching, even in school times, I've been um, assisting younger students with their uh, homework and with their math courses and so forth. Yeah. And also at university, um, I earned some money on the side with uh, teaching. And um, I uh, once spoke to another friend um, about what motivates us in our work. And the for me, it was always the big picture doing the energy transformation system. But I was told uh, from that friend that he's mostly motivated if uh, he can improve people. If people come to him and seek advice, mm -hmm. um, people working for him, and he can give them that advice and he can feel that they are, they've learned something and they have improved themselves. That's really, really satisfying for him. And I must say that I can share this, um, uh, this feeling. And I think it's a, it's a great opportunity to, um, share what you've learned and discuss with people. And uh, I especially like the approach where students can try to find out themselves um, what's good for them. And I don't really tell them 
this is the way to go, but uh, we can discuss these things and see how to move forward and quantify uh, results. So that's really nice and interesting. Yeah. And I like young people. I have to say that um, <laughs> maybe we get to this later again as well. Um, we, with now the Fridays for Future movement, um, I really think young people today are very motivated, highly motivated in what they're doing, also in uh, designing their future and caring about the future. And they have one big advantage as opposed to us. Um, when you work 20 or 30 years in one field, whatever your viewpoint, you get a bit stuck in some opinions and you get mm. a bit odd. And I have the feeling that young people don't have this um, as much. So yeah. they're very open for new points and they um, they can adapt much quicker and um, understand different positions. Yeah. So I really like working with young people and like teaching. And that's a yeah. lot of fun. Do you get real feedback from your students? Um, or is it is it a one-directional thing? Do, do they tell you, hey, this was really a cool course? Or how do you, I mean, you give a lot of energy. Do you get energy back from, from the students somehow? Or do you, Definitely. I always or? use the last hour to discuss how the um, course went. Yeah. And get some feedback and give some feedback and ask for what they liked and what they didn't like and uh, what I can improve the next time. Mm. and i think that's that's always really interesting and um i do get the feeling that there's a, a lot of good things and there's always a room for improvement so that's really that gives me a lot of energy i think yeah cool yeah you just mentioned uh, fridays for future so uh, also here in leipzig and um, of course worldwide this was a well it still is i mean now it kind of uh, slowed down a little because uh, we can't we're not allowed to go outside but uh you were You're also pretty active in that in that um, in that group, right? Yeah, I'm not too active, but um, I can I, I I try to be there um, as often as I can, and every once in a while. And when I'm asked to to support something, like um, to explain a bit about um, a bigger picture on the energy system or on research uh, point of view for different topics. Um, I, I try to help as much as I can, but it's um, wherever you go, it's always clear that it's the students who drive this. It's not um, parents or scientists um, or old people like us who are supposed to drive this. It's a, a student movement, and I think it's good this way. Okay, but you still have the the parents for future, scientists for futures, entrepreneurs for future. How do yep. they uh, interact with the? the original movement, the, the Fridays for Future kids and students? Mm. For example, Scientists for Future, they meet once a month in person at the university in Leipzig. Yeah, I haven't been there for quite some time, I must admit. But I've been there a few times and there you always have some rep representatives of Friday for Future as well. Yeah. And you have all the social media where you do have interaction. Yeah. And the same is true for Parents for Future. Yeah. Okay, and uh, the way I understand it, uh, the students welcome these extra groups, parents of future, scientists for future, or how do they look, regard them, these extra groups? I think they always like this. They, they of course, for, for, the, for the cause, it's the best to have as many people in society as possible. Yeah. Um, so this is why they like all the other movements. Um, yeah. They specifically support scientists for future also the other way around and they because they, they that's their main claim that politics should listen to the scientists mm. so of course scientists have a um, special meaning as far as i understand um, and but i think it's important that all groups actually all different parts of society support this support um, designing or finding a good future for all of us yeah. and supporting this And I think the only moments where they probably don't like it too much is if we um, put forward too strong opinions ourselves. Yeah. So um, one has to be really careful um, about what to say because um, people are being watched very carefully. So I think there, there has to be some discussion to see what makes sense. And I think Fridays for Future is also doing this quite in an excellent manner. As far as I understand, they have weekly phone conferences like this one just with 100 people 
Yeah. And um, 100 parties, that, that's really crazy. So they've developed a, a different yeah, skills, how to actually agree to something. I think what they do is they do this to show that they support. So this is clapping yeah. without any noise um, and other uh, hand signs and so forth, because if 100 people clap, I think it gets really loud. Yeah. Um, so I think they're really clever. They learn a lot. They learn a lot of organizational skills. I, I think they learn a lot of skills that they will be able to use in their later professional life as well. So I think it's um, it's a really great movement. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now with COVID nineteen, there, there's a lot of uh, questions come up. Where's Greta now? Where's Fridays for Future now? So, so they keep working in in the virtual room, as I understand. Yes. Um, so I yeah. think there was a very nice post of Greta Thunberg where she said that young people will also support the old people uh, in regard that they stay at home and don't go for demonstration or on strike, um, but rather um, move to online um, approaches. And they have webinars now with um, uh, highly qualified people and are in discussions. So I think they're really, really creative and um, um, yeah, it can be very much appreciated. So it sounds like the, the, the movement doesn't, uh, doesn't suffer from the, the COVID-19, let's say, break. Um, you think they, they're going to come back uh, as strong as they were before? I hope so. I think they have suffered before because they have seen that they've been out on the streets for a year and they do have the feeling that they did not achieve what they seek to achieve, to yeah. have a plan on how to adapt for the, to achieving our climate goals, how to adapt to the Paris Agreement. But um, one must say that they have achieved a lot I think the discussion on climate change has been huge in the last year, and I think it still is. And um, I, but I, I think the task is not over, so it's important to stay focused and stay with it and um, keep taking um, the, um, the uh, people out to the streets and raising the attention of everyone to discuss this further. Yeah. yeah. But of course, first we have to get through the Uh, COVID-19 uh, crisis and um, this is not over and I think only once this is over we can really judge what what challenges are ahead of us so we know that the climate ch uh, challenge will not go away but um, we, we must see how much we can um, focus on climate change again and how much the discussion will go away from it into pure economic topics, for example. Um, and I think there might be also personal issues. I mean, people dying is not exactly a nice thing to happen. Yeah. Yeah, so that's an, another interesting aspect, right? I mean, the, it, it, besides the, the social, uh, personal tragedies we are um, uh, facing now, the, the impact on the economy is, is, uh, will be pretty high, right? So, uh, what, what's your guess? How would uh, um, how would the politics in Germany or worldwide or different regions handle the situation once we are back, let's say, to hopefully normal conditions? Is 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 the energy transformation then totally off the tail because it's it's called to be too expensive, uh, focus on other, on other subjects, or do you think we can switch back to uh, where we were before? Hmm. So I, I don't know. Yeah, um, sure. We don't know uh, how this will all turn out. Yeah. So let's hope it's not going to be as bad as the worst scenarios uh, might indicate. Um, but yeah, this is something we, nobody can predict so far. Yeah. Let's keep our fingers crossed. And but one thing is sure that whatever it looks like afterwards, it's not like um, you can make any case that you should not do the energy transformation anymore. And it's just simply not right to claim that it's expensive. It's it is not. It um, for example, our solar industry yeah. is uh, the least um, costly um, way to provide electricity today even in regions like germany mm -hmm. so i we must definitely um 
move this further. And I think it's a huge opportunity for a lot of countries to get access to low-cost electricity and um, to even engage harder in this uh, transformation than before. Yeah. But who knows what forces uh, will try to make what case. But from my point of view, it's clear we must stay with it. We must stay with the energy transformation. Okay. You just mentioned that um, the, the PV photovoltaics, the electricity from the sun is, is now one or the cheapest uh, energy source. Can you, can you add some, some figures? Do you, do, you, do you have some comparison at hand? So in, in Germany, I think a good way to look at it is the tenders for large utility PV systems. Okay. Because they are fully transparent and there you achieve numbers even below four cents per kilowatt hour. Yeah. And that is for systems which are limited in size to 10 megawatts. Mm -hmm. And we have seen the first systems in Europe and also in Germany. I think AMBV now started to build their 150 or 170 megawatt solar power plant in Brandenburg. And I think the costs there are going to be even lower. Yeah. Um, so this is really ex extraordinarily low. And if you look at uh, coal industry, I think they have to pay almost this money uh, for CO2 certificates um, without even paying for coal. Um, so I think that's way more costly than photovoltaics electricity. Okay. All right. So you just mentioned the, the 10 megawatt limit. Why is there a, what sort of limit is that? I have no fucking idea. This is, uh, Beep. Yeah. can I swear on your <laughs> podcast? Um, I, I don't, I really don't know. It's, I think, completely uh, erratic and it's, um, yeah. there is, there's no good reason for this number. And in no other um, electricity generation, there is such a limit. So, yeah. But I think it's not maybe too important. It's just a pain, but it's um, it's not stopping us because we have to move to um, systems where we do not need any funding for these type of utilities, mm. um, like we are seeing now um, with a large system in Brandenburg, where you um, can actually directly sell that electricity as well in the market or via our power purchase agreements. I think there's a huge opportunity out there. I think we must rather support uh, these type of business models with power purchase agreements, maybe yeah. loan guarantees until the banks actually believe that's a good idea um, and uh, do proper financing. And then I think this is the way to go. But it's, mm -hmm. uh, it's really that 10 megawatt limit is completely crazy. Totally crazy. Uh. So the you just mentioned the uh, the power purchase agreement. How does that work? I, I guess that's a deal between the the owner of the solar park and a a customer. Yes. How is it so, structured? From my understanding, um, basically, companies who use electricity are afraid of the cost of electricity rising. Yeah. Yes. And. Um, companies who try to sell electricity for, for whatever reason or for whatever source, but also from photovoltaics or wind energy, they are afraid of electricity costs dropping. Mm. Um, this would mean that they cannot get their um, um, loans paid. And it's basically some sort of an insurance. So both parties agree, well, let's have a fixed price. And if the price is higher, um, then we still meet at this intermediate price and if it's lower we do the same or we reimburse each other um, if it's higher or lower so we have a guaranteed price and both of us can calculate with this number yeah. for the next 10 or 15 years yeah. and uh, this helps both sides and i think that's a really good way forward okay no, uh, PV plants are, of course, uh, a fluctuating source of, of energy, right? So how is that taken into account in these PPAs? Is it, is it a, what do, you, what do you sell, a keyword hour at 12 o'clock lunchtime? Or, or is it a kilowatt hours over 
cover cover the I whole day or how does it work there's there's different opportunities how to do this but i guess it sells against the day ahead market price yeah. and of course it can you can only sell the electricity if you got the electricity to sell mm. so it will um will be um reference to the uh, day ahead stock market price for electricity okay yeah. so you must have somebody who's actually trading there so this could be large companies or it can be an intermediate company who uses this as part of their portfolio for selling electricity yeah. okay. and of course with a large utility company like EMDV, EMDW, they can actually use that as part of their portfolio yeah so what is required that uh, ppas or or any other let's say non non-government supported scheme is necessary for for solar energy what, what need what are the steps that need to be taken as far as in I germany or any other country yeah as far as i understand in other countries this is far more developed and this has to do with the um, german feed-in tariff because we do have a feed-in tariff already um, it was not so necessary to develop PPAs. Other countries without feed-in tariffs or uh, yeah, reasonable feed-in tariffs, tariffs developed this earlier, and I think they are further developed. But um, as far as I understand, really, we're very close to getting this. I think it's mostly almost like a marketing issue that you, that you get this. Companies must know that there is this opportunity and then they must use it. Um, and maybe the only thing left there is you need to have um, financing from banks and banks don't know this business yet and they must um, uh, get confidence uh, that they get their credits repaid and i think in order to get this confidence it would be good for example for the german um uh KfW bank the okay. um, state-owned bank to to give such loan guarantees to support other banks um, to trust this type of business. Okay. And, and I think this is something which you only need to do for a fairly limited period in time. And once uh, banks are used to the business and have um, achieved this trust, then you can um, let it go and uh, let it be in the free market. Okay. Excellent. Um, do, do you know countries where PPAs are already um, widely used? Is, is um, as far as I understand, some of the Scandinavian countries do this. Okay. Um, there is, I visited a um, power plant in Spain, yeah. um, which uh, a solar power plant, a uh, solar utility, um, which uses such PPAs. I think that in Southern Europe, obviously, um, the costs are even lower. So there you have uh, a market coming up. I think uh, Portugal, Spain, and Italy are markets which are being closely watched from companies, from system installers, to see um, um, what type of PPAs are possible there. Mm. Mm. Uh, okay, interesting. So, uh, I mean, here in, in Saxony, Leipzig, we are in Leipzig, Saxony, uh, Saxony has a lot of uh, brown coal mining. Um, as you, as I stand on my, yeah, terrace balcony and look towards the south i can see a massive brown coal a power plant creating nice uh, clouds in the sky so you can clearly see that this uh, region massively depends on uh, on that kind of industry or at least uh, this is what uh, is usually being told so along with let's, let's say trust in uh, of banks in in this kind of energy source a lot more needs to be done i would assume to uh, to switch our our energy supply system towards uh, renewables, Do you, and and I think this is one of your your focus topics as a as a professor, right? So maybe you can shed some light of what else needs to be done to get to say, let's say, twenty five percent renewables coverage across all energy uh, um, uh, demand and or maybe 50 and then maybe 75 percent so what what would be the steps that need to be taken as a on a from the industry from policy uh, from the from all stakeholders so i i think um definitely all sectors must contribute to the energy system transformation 
Yeah. Uh, it cannot only be done by electricity, but at least electricity has to extend in other marketplaces and uh, we have to do the transition in all markets. Um, the What you see uh, with the power plant south of Leipzig, um, it does two things. So one, it provides electricity. And I think that's fairly straightforward uh, to change. Um, so you need more renewable electricity instead. Mm. What's a different challenge is it provides heating for Leipzig with district heating. And okay. um, that's, of course, something where we do have to make a transition. Leipzig has decided to um, not use this source anymore after 2023, I think. And um, we will try and, and hopefully make a, a build a gas-fired um, combined heating power plant. Um, to provide the heating and then add more and more, for example, renewable sources or waste energy sources to such a system. Um, to cover the heat demand, the, the heating demand, that's for heating or? Yes, okay. so to provide yeah. for district heating. I know that a nice example um, is in, in Hamburg. They, are, they um, There have been two decisions by the citizens of Hamburg to uh, actually re-buy their um, own power distribution company in the city mm -hmm. and to move to renewable or CO2 free um, energy by 2030. And they also have district heating, which is a, a very um, technic technically effective and uh, financially effective way of actually providing heat as uh, district heating. I think people agree to this quite widely. But um, you have to do the transition. If you don't have a system yet for district heating, you must. You have a um, large hurdle to overcome, a, a large initial investment to overcome this that you must mm. overcome. But there, they use a lot of. Um, they have heavy industry in Hamburg for steel and for aluminum, and they use the waste uh, process energy from this and put it into the district heating. So there's different opportunities how to do this. But in general, I would say. There's many, many opportunities and you can be really creative and there can be a lot of innovation in this, but there's some things which are certain. It is absolutely certain that we need more um, solar energy, we need more wind energy. It is clear that we will shift to electromobility. It, it's not clear whether it's gonna be um, battery powered or fuel cell powered with hydrogen. That's maybe still an open race, but I'm almost certain it will be electric cars. So electric cars, battery, battery powered. Battery or fuel cell with hydrogen. Or fuel cell, all right. Yeah. I tend to more to battery, but I think that's still an open race, but it will be electric powered. Yeah. I don't think that it will be combustion engines in future anymore. Yeah. Um, at least not in the um, uh, uh, small cars. Um, and... I think in heating, it will be clear that the technologies like heat pumps will get more importance. I think that thermal storage um, is something which has huge importance to shift energy around. So you can use, when you have excess energy, you can produce heat. And when you have limited um, electricity, you, you don't need to provide heat, but you have this in your thermal storage. I think that's mm. the opportunity. And district heating, wherever you can do it. So there are certain technologies where um, almost everybody says that this plays an important role. So yeah. I think you must push those. And then I think it's fine to have an open market which uh, sees competition, for example, between different storage opportunities, which gives the opportunity whether you expand your grid or you build local storage. Um, I think there's very many different approaches to it. I think you must allow for innovation there. Uh, you must allow for information to be used, um, digitalization to help demand response or just um, um, moving demand side management might be really interesting. And for example, like we see now, um, th there is this big challenge, which is a real challenge that at least in Germany, we have times where we don't have wind or solar. Um, and almost every year we have like about a week with very little wind or solar energy. The question is where to get the energy from. And people claim that you need a whole, um, all the power plants still for this one week. 
but maybe it's also an opportunity to pay people to stay at home in this week and companies huh. to close down. And now we see that, well, having one week a year to stay at home seems like child's play now. I'm huh. home for two or three weeks, two and a half weeks now. Yeah. So um, uh, I think it's not entirely impossible to do something like this. I think there's different opportunities. So there is things which are clear and there's other things where we still have room to play, but we must um, push in all directions and see what's the best solution. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that, let us briefly come back to uh, the district heating. I don't know if that actually exists in, in other countries than, than Germany. So basically you have a long, 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 long pipes going over kilometers from the power plant towards individual households, right? Um, if, if, you, if you use a gas power plant, that, that's still not renewable, right? So this would only be for a transition phase. So how would that look like in the, let's say, midterm, long-term future? How would you do? Would that also go to solar or, or wind? Electricity heating, do you, do you think the, the future of heating is also electricity? So um, I think a gas power plant, for example, the one we will hopefully build here in Leipzig, um, will have um, the capabilities to switch into hydrogen-fired or synthetic fuel-fired as well. Or you have biogas, which you can use. So okay. there is renewable sources which can uh, have okay. a transition or yeah. you can add more and more parts of this. Um, so I think that's an opportunity. But there is also, I think, other ways to do this. I think with electricity, I think direct electric heating is an, uh, a possibility, but mm. also uh, using heat pumps is always a possibility. Yeah. I think that um, it might be a good idea to lower the temperature in district heating. So now we have, I think in Leipzig, we, we get from the coal power plant, the water comes in at 130 degrees and it, it reaches Leipzig at 110 degrees. And um, the, um, I think you could lower such a temperature. And with a lower temperature, you can use solar thermal energy, for example. I think that starts goes up to 90 degrees or so. Yeah. In a reasonable manner. And, um, but you could also go much lower temperature. So I've seen models with uh, cold um, combined uh, uh, district heating where you go down to, for example, 30 degrees, um, but use heat pumps and use that uh, 30 degree water to um, uh, pump the heat up to whatever temperature you need mm. um, and lower the temperature down to, for example, 10 degrees. And then you have the opportunity to, for example, use that type of water for cooling um, 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 Yeah, computer centers or where you have your large server farms or so for IT cooling or other cooling um, requirements where you're at much lower temperature. Yeah. And use that as an energy source and feed it directly into your district heating. So I think that's a great opportunity. Yeah. Okay. But that's something which is not decided yet. I think that's, that's some of the more fancy technologies uh, which are possible. Yeah. So, so what's the... I just read recently the for 2019 the around 14% to 15% of the total energy demand so that includes mobility and heating was covered by by renewables like 14 to 15% right is it correct yeah I'm not quite sure um, but sounds right yeah, yeah. so so what, what do you think uh, in a in a realistic scenario when we, when can we get to 25 percent 50 or 75% and then hmm. um, is there scenarios by by the policy makers or by the political parties what, what are their scenarios they they fight for scientists or um, i think germany zero for example is um They have scenarios how to do this quicker. Yeah. Um, I like the scenario from Agora Energiewende, the big picture, uh, which showed how we can transition 2030 to, I think the goal there is 65% renewable. Okay. So I think it's, it's huge efforts we have to make yeah. um, by lowering our electricity consumption, um, for example, in the building okay. sector or energy consumption. 
and um, moving away from combustion cars um, like we have them today and increasing the amount of um, electricity from renewables. Um, so I think we, in order to uh, keep our Paris climate goals and in order to um, keep the global temperature below 1.5 degrees Celsius, we must reach zero CO2 emission by about 2035. Um, zero by 2035. Yeah. Yeah. So we must have huge uh, parts of um, renewable electricity or renewable energy in Germany. Yeah. I think that's a really, really huge um, challenge. But um, at least we have to take on this challenge. So we have to increase the amount of photovoltaics and wind energy we set up um, very strongly. And yeah. I think now um, both have difficulties. I think solar, as both of us have seen, has already had quite large uh, challenges in Germany. And um, yeah. I think wind is facing this now or has started facing it last year. And I think that's the wrong way to go. Yeah. Uh, with this way, it's, um, it will be impossible to reach our goals. Yeah. And what about the, the financial demand? Is, is, is that, can that be uh, financed by, uh, by the private industry? Um, and uh, would, would they invest into these energy sources because it's, uh, it gives them a high return on invest or does it have to be like a state debt financed? Yeah, so I think that's a big, big challenge for the energy transformation that you have um, the, um, you move away from a um, OPEX-based energy system where a large portion of your cost is actually in the fuel you burn or use or by whatever way yeah. uh, to a system where most of your cost is actually in the investment, the CapEx. Mm. Um, so you must invest into your system quite a lot of money and then you have um, low rates to pay afterwards. Yeah. So that is a challenge. Fortunately, at least it was the case that the uh, interest rates were low. So yeah. that really helped the case and also the cost for um, uh, capital uh, intensive industries. Mm. So I think we should use that opportunity. Um, It's hard for me to judge whether um, companies can do that themselves or whether the state must support this. Um, I would hope that companies can do it, uh, like what we said earlier with the power purchase agreements. And I think it should be possible that the government should um, design the market in a way that you can make good uh, profits from it. I think that it is a problem that with the, the rates you look at with... Um, solar for example you still have fairly long times until you get a return of your invest the return on your invest um so it's i think still around 10 years um depending on what type of system you look at but i yeah. think that's um quite long for your investment to uh, pay back and um that's probably a challenge yeah okay and um so recently in um in Germany, there's a, I mean, it's all dominated by, by legal boundary conditions, right? So uh, if I understand correctly, there's a, a cap on the PV capacity, which is allowed to be installed in, in Germany, which is, I think, 52 gigawatts. Yes, that's, that's right. one thing. And the other one is uh, now with the only recently, I don't know if it was, uh, if the bill passed, was passed that uh, wind parks Or windmills have to have a distance of at least one kilometer, which uh, apparently reduces the potential for additional wind in, in Germany to close to zero. So, um, is, is that correct? Is that a correct recollection? I understand it the same products? way, yes. Yeah. So, I think that the 52 gigawatt cap for PV will go. Nobody's supporting this anymore. It's just. Um, they want to have this as part of the deal um, so they will only negotiate once the wind topic is um, cleared and i think for the wind topic it's actually so with, with the two government parties in germany um, one wants this 1000 meter distance minimum distance and the other one wants um, to actually get 
to give money to the communities if they um, have a system um, close to their community. And I think um, the beauty is there is actually room for compromise. So you can have, um, for example, you could say that, okay, you can only install systems further than 1000 meters away from a community. And um, if it's inside the system, then the community must be reimbursed. Mm. And then both would work out fine. And I think that then communities can say, okay, if I get this and that much money, I will think it's okay if we use this field over there and put some so uh, wind farms there. And you could even do a competition, like a tender, for how much money the communities would need. And the ones with which would be willing to accept it for the lowest contribution would have a competition, and which a lot of um, politicians like, uh, and the EU actually likes. And um, this way you would even find the lowest cost for putting up wind farms. So I think there's room for uh, compromise. And I think that's always good. Yeah. But something needs to be done. I think the way they plan to do it now with just a thousand meters from any house, that's just ridiculous in Germany. Yeah. And I think the motivation was, I guess, uh, disturbance by uh, the, in German, it's Schattenschlag. It's like the, 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 the infra, shade. Infra, infrasonic, whatever. Ah, even the, okay, infrasonic uh, noise. Uh, And, There's different uh, things. And yeah, I think you must respect this, um, uh, whatever the people um, say. But I think if you would only, if, if communities can say themselves, yes, we do want it, if we do get um, our share of um, the, the, the money which is earned there, mm. and, and they, they do this, they agree to it themselves first. And they have to decide as a community whether they want it or not. I think that would take that would increase acceptance quite a lot. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And the the 52 gigawatt cap is there? A, I guess there's no scientific background for that or a reason for it for, for that cap. Think, or do you? I think it, I, I've just seen a safety it stop. Yeah. It's um, there is days in summer in the weekend yeah. where your maximum uh, noon load is 52 gigawatts. All so right. that would mean in a sunny day, um, 52 gigawatts of solar could provide 100% of electricity. And the, uh, the idea behind, I, 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 it might be a coincidence, but I think that people might have looked at this to say that you do not overproduce just from solar. Okay. But it's, um, yeah, we need much higher numbers um, yeah. of photovoltaics in Germany. And if, if anybody looks around, there are still so many empty roofs. Uh, it's really amazing. You must get photovoltaics on all these roofs. Yeah. So we now have almost 52 gigawatts in Germany. What does a cost-optimized uh, system look like in, in Germany? How much PV would we have? Mm. To I think there's actually uh, multiple answers. So yeah. that's also what I learned, for example, from colleagues from Fraunhofer Ise, who do this in a very nice uh, numerical simulation optimization with Solvers to find out which is the optimum system. Mm. And they find um, that there is um, different optima with very, very close overall cost, but very different systems. Yeah, so. Um, the, the cost can be really just yeah, portions of cents uh, um, apart from one another per kilowatt hour, but um, or fractions of, uh, of cents, but the system is entirely different. So you might have, for example, what I uh, remember, there are systems which do use solar thermal energy okay. and some which don't at all. Yeah. And the cost difference is not too large. Yeah. Um, so, and I think with the uncertainty on how the prices develop, I think there's still room to find out what's the optimum solution. But um, for sure, it will have a lot of photovoltaics and a lot of wind energy. Okay. So, do you dare? To, do you remember one of the uh, a figure like now it's 52 gigawatts? One of those scenarios. What 
how much PV would there be in Germany for 100% renewables? 100 uh, or 150 or 500? Um, so definitely above 150. Okay. Um, it really depends on what you try to achieve. So if you, um, for example, if you, in our lecture, if we do these simulations and we do the energy transformation and you can see that the overall primary energy needed is always being reduced because a lot of the technologies are more efficient. Like electromobility is much more efficient than combustion engines. So or heat pumps are much more efficient than um, uh, burning fuels for heating. So you will always lower the primary electricity or energy demand. But there's one technology which doesn't do this. And this is uh, water electrolysis for producing hydrogen. This is much less efficient. So in order, if you start using this as a storage, as a yearly storage, then really your power requirements explode. And yeah. if you look at, um, I think Fraunhofer has just published a study of hydrogen strategy for Germany. And there they claim that um, just electrolysis will need between 50 and 80 gigawatts of um, power. Um, continuous. Yeah. Capacity yeah. and depends whether you if it's run continuous or at least in a lot of hours, it's um, uh, only then it's cost effective. But this means 80 gigawatts is the peak load at the moment in Germany. So it means doubling the electricity load just by adding um, electrolysis and hydrogen. Um, yeah. Hydrogen, that's a lot. But if you, for example, say, well, we import this hydrogen from somewhere else, like Morocco or wherever, um, that's like importing um, oil and gas today. Yeah. And, um, that changes, of course, the requirements on how much wind or solar you would need here. So yeah. that really is a, is a huge factor in talking about how much um, photovoltaics or wind energy you need here in total. So yeah. I think that um, if you go between 200 and 400 gigawatts of photovoltaic, you can make for a nice energy system and you can import the rest via hydrogen. If you would say that you have to do everything 100% electric energy inside of germany um then you have to go way over such figures and okay. i think that's not realistic that's not realistic you mean yeah. i think that the last 10 to 15 percent in the energy system that's really why it's getting tough and if you can get that from somewhere else that would be beneficial for us yeah so your personal favorite gut feel a lot of gut feel of course how, how would that how would uh, our energy system look like in the future? Yes, if you had to decide now. <laughs> I, I think we have to carefully design on how much more wind energy we can accept and how yeah. to increase that acceptance. Yeah. I think wind energy, wind and solar... Um, the public acceptance. Yeah, public acceptance. Yes, and I think there's a price tag to that acceptance. Yeah. I think you're willing to accept much more if you get more money for it. Um, that's the way just we are. It's, uh, I don't want to say anything bad with that. I think that's the way it goes. And I think that's fine. Yeah. And, and then you don't have to overdo it. But I think there's still some room and there is opportunities. I think um, photovoltaics, we, we have to basically see on every house roof. Yeah. Um, Especially if you look at commercial rooftops, um, you must integrate photovoltaics everywhere. And then we have to see how much we can get into our countryside as well. Yeah. I think there's plenty of room. There's plenty of opportunity um, to do this. And I think in general, also for research, uh, the acceptance topic is very nice. And talking about how to design a system that people will think it looks nice uh, is also possible like i think um in a field a solar system can look nice or you can try and hide it if you don't want to see it or you know today we have bifacial solar modules which you can put vertically which look different and i think you should take into account uh, how they also look like and how it's it's accepted by the um, population which has to see it every day yeah cool all right. So after all these years, uh, you're still uh, 
optimistic um, that uh, what mankind or uh, will will make it possible? I don't know. I don't. I also don't know how much we should be afraid. That's yeah. really something where I'm completely not sure. I was recently asked by someone whether I really think that in 30 years time we will not be able to sit down and have a drink together. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Probably we can. I don't know what the circumstances will be. Will yeah. the world look like Mad Max? I don't know. Yeah. Um, do they have drinks at Mad Max? I guess so. Um, I don't know how bad it's really going to get. Yeah. And um, But you must stay optimistic to survive, I think. Or there's no point in saying, well, it's not going to work anyhow. And I actually think that it's not like a digital thing. It's not like either we make it or we don't. I think it's even if we don't meet the 1.5 degree goals and maybe if we go over all the tipping points, I think it's still worthwhile to have uh, energy security from renewable decentralized sources. So I think um, we must push this way. Yeah. There's no other way. There's no other way. All right. So, uh, so basically my last question. So, so what's the one thing you think the, uh, the solar industry needs to get, uh, to get to the next level? I think we're doing great already. Um, I have recently said in an interview that um, I think my, my single biggest misunderstanding was um, that we need thin film photovoltaics in order to ever be competitive <laughs> with photovoltaics. I was in that as well. Yeah, yeah maybe you thought so too. <laughs> I thought we needed one revolution in order to yeah. get there. And boy, have a look what evolution has done for us. Like yeah. the silicon photovoltaics people say, I don't know who of them invented it, but um, uh, it might have been Dick Swanson, um, that uh, silicon technology is the dinosaur of uh, solar technologies and that dinosaur is still hungry. Uh, yeah. And I, I think that's just true. It's, it's really amazing what the evolution of silicon photovoltaics has done and how much they've driven down the cost. And it's really great work of all the people involved. And you can just be grateful to all of them who've driven this and acknowledge their great work. And I think I just keep going and keep pushing. And I think solar is such a big business already. It's, uh, it's really crazy. I've just looked at numbers on the employment of uh, in photovoltaics in Germany and other countries. And um, I think we have an average of around 400 employees out of a million uh, are in photovoltaics now worldwide. Worldwide, okay. That's crazy. Mm. Um, Germany is now below the average, by the way, uh, but that's a different story. Mm. Um, China is um, three to four times uh, the average, so that's the big player there. Yeah. But it's really amazing how many people work in this field, and it's just a great opportunity. And a lot of things are happening there, and I, I don't believe in the revolution in photovoltaics anymore. I don't think it's necessary. It will be very interesting to see whether we need tandem cells, um, but I think only the standard technology will make it there. Um, but that will be interesting too. And we see how it's going to work. You're an expert in tandem cells, so that will be good for you and you have the meteorology to look at it. Great yeah. stuff. Yeah, excellent. All right, Jens. Well, um, thanks a lot uh, for taking time today. Um, it's been, must be an hour or so. <laughs> Uh, you said we're going to talk no, 15 minutes. Sorry? <laughs> you said we're going to talk 15 minutes. Yeah, sorry, sorry. Yeah. It was always, you talked all the time, right? Uh, oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, your, your kids behaved quite well. Uh, once in a while, I, I wasn't sure if it was my kids or, or yours. I heard in the background. I heard mine. <laughs> you heard yours, yeah. yeah. On the outside in your garden, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it all worked well. Hey, thanks a lot. Thanks, and, Tom. Uh, uh yeah i mean we were supposed to meet again for our every seventh week solar beer here in leipzig um 
I, I guess this this is this will also be a, a virtual meeting. I assume, right? I've done one before now, and it actually works quite fine. Yeah. All right. It's it's nicer in person. It's it nicer in person, yeah. But uh, yeah, the beer is cheap at home. That's yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's struggle right. to get home. Hey, okay. um, thanks a lot, Jens, and uh, talk to you soon. Yeah. Thanks, Thorsten, and I'm yeah. curious to see if anybody's going to watch it till this point. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. We had Thank fun. You, we had All fun. Right. It was yeah. great talking to you. See you yeah. soon. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye.